So before we get started on this episode, just a fair warning, the Flatiron Building has struck again, and this time, borderline haunted? We had all kinds of weird issues. Um, unfortunately, our wonderful interviewee, Alexa, uh, her mic seems to have been picking up radio signals for some reason in a way that we could not figure out. The conference table that we were recording on appears to have been essentially a drum that massively magnified all movements and any noise of, for instance, putting a cup down on the table. In addition to the normal city noises of sirens and traffic downstairs and... Yeah, so it was a virtual cornucopia of fun time, distracting noises. I did my best to clean it up, and I apologize for any moments where you're wondering, is that uh, a faint FM radio signal in the background? Yes, it is. You're not crazy. That said, I think our conversation with Alexa was really interesting. We talked about all kinds of really cool stuff, so uh, bear with us, and I hope that you enjoy the episode. This is Graphic Novel TK, your podcast guide to comic book publishing. Hello, and welcome to Graphic Novel TK. I'm Gina Gagliano. And I'm Allison Wilgus. We're so excited to talk to you about how actual books get made today, i.e., production. And by how books get made, I don't mean people write them and draw them. I mean, how do they get printed and produced? Like, how does the paper exist and get bound in between the two covers? We're excited to have Alexa Villanueva, who's a senior production manager at Macmillan Children's with us today to talk about that. Alexa, can you tell us a little about who you are, how you got into comics, and what you're doing now? Sure. Um, my name is Alexa Villanueva, and I work on children's books, graphic novels. Uh, I've been in production for about 17 years. Prior to that, in magazine publishing, so I've worked on all kinds of printing, or worked with all kinds of printing, um, specifically, the graphic novel uh, imprint has grown so much that I'm working less and less on children's books. So I'm really happy about that. I really like the books I'm working on. Yay, comics. Yes. Um, and I stumbled on the comics because when I came to Macmillan, it was a position to work on children's books. But there was, for a second, that was a pretty new imprint. And the role required that I work on graphic novels along with picture books. And uh, as the list grew, I got pushed away from the picture books and more into the graphic novels. And it's been a wonderful learning experience. Prior to that, my knowledge of comic books was Archie Comics. I grew up reading Archie Comics, and this was a new thing. And as I was working on, on these books and reading the proofs, I started reading the stories and saying, this stuff is pretty good. And I really enjoy working on them, uh, reading them, and it's been a great experience. That's awesome. So you have the job of a production manager, and that job, I feel, is a very behind-the-scenes job in comics, shrouded in mystery. What do you actually do? Like, what, what does a typical day for you look like, and what are kind of the main responsibilities of a production manager? Um, in production, we're keeping costs down. A lot of it is 
about keeping the books as inexpensive as possible to manufacture. That includes uh, getting the files out for um, printing. So we want to make sure that the files are correct for the printer so that when they get the job, there aren't any issues on press. Um, you also like do quotes, like you arrange the whole printing experience. Exactly, yes. Yeah. So there is pricing, there's scheduling, there's um, a lot of relationships because I'm representing our company to the printer, but I'm also representing um, the printer to the design and editorial team. And there is just, you want to have everyone in harmony so that everyone works well together. Um, so it's like a diplomacy aspect of this. Exactly, exactly. And um, so there are a lot of roles. It's really keep making the book look as beautiful as possible, keeping the cost down while doing that, having a good working relationship with the designers, the editors, other departments in, in um, the publishing company, and making sure that I'm getting the f- correct files to the printer so that they can do their job and produce a beautiful book for us. So what's the first time that you would hear about a book? When, when a publisher is like, okay, we're going to acquire this book, we think it's amazing, are you hearing about the book at that point? When do you get involved? Um, generally, we're usually working three to four lists out, and we get requests from the editor uh, to price out a book. It, it happens in, in various stages. Sometimes it's when the editor is acquiring a book. Sometimes so that, there are so other that the editor can be like, if I am interested in doing a 200-page chapter book, what is the least that I would be able to pay for this so that I know what sort of advance and what sort of royalties to give the author, right? So exactly. They're putting the P&L together like you're part of that process. Well, and sometimes I think we're just acquiring or competing for a particular title. There are times that there's a title that's up for bid. And we're trying to see, can we afford this book? And exactly how much of a royalty can we give the author illustrator? And knowing how much the book costs to make is a very important part of that. Exactly. Um, I think a lot of times the manufacturing of a book is probably the least amount that's going out because there are so many, so many different things that need to be paid in yeah. order to acquire a book. Like colorists or letterers, or obviously if there's an author, an illustrator, um, exactly. maybe there's a freelance editor or a freelance designer who's right. laying everything out. If, if a book is a very high page count, we also have to factor in prep costs. Yeah. For four, most of the graphic novels are for color, and we have to prep those files. That can be very expensive, and the higher the page count, the more money we're going to pay. Um, Sometimes that's ten, twelve thousand dollars right there. So that's a huge amount of money that needs to be considered upfront. Yeah, and it's important to know, you know, is this book going to be prohibitively expensive to produce if, for example, it's like three feet tall or, you know, five hundred pages long, perhaps you need to adjust the advance or the royalties one way or another so you were you're able to publish it and then make a profit for your, the company, but also for the author for it. So, I mean, that's the other thing. Like, so you're obviously following this book through its whole life. Yes. Like, what are the stages that 
you're coming like what are the parts where you're yeah. most involved in like where are you coming into this process yeah. so what happens after that acquisitions point so after that acquisition i've gone out and bid the job with generally three printers so that i know that i'm getting the best price and i present that price back to the editor who then presents it to the publisher they acquire the book and uh, we will work out a schedule once it's put on a list whether it be spring, fall, or winter. From there, we make a schedule. Um, I work with Managing Ed to provide a date where I will need the mechanicals. At that point, when I say mechanicals, because that sounds like a mysterious word, everything's been written, laid out by design. It has gone through Managing Editorial. It's gone through copy editing, through through any kind of sensitivity reads. That has all happened. And at that point, I am getting lasers and files for what is very likely going to be close to the finished book. I get those mechanicals, I send those out, we see a round of proofs that are color accurate, and at that point we hope that there will be minimal changes, but we generally go through about three rounds, and not a full set, but we'll find a couple of things that need tweaking, we will look at at those files, we'll make those changes, Believe it or not, that process is usually about three months. So it does take some time for everybody to look at it, for the corrections to be made. Once those files are approved, we send them off to the printer. So are they shipping you physical files that you're reviewing? Like, Are the kinds of changes that you're talking about, like this is printing too dark or this paper stock isn't looking the way? Like, What kind of things are you looking out for when you're getting uh, like proofs, for instance, back? Um, yes, definitely color. So I'm making sure that things don't look too dark, um, too light. We want to make sure that the paper is what we want it to be. If by chance there happen to be a lot of white areas in the art, we want to make sure that the opacity is good with the paper so that you don't see from one side to the next. Um, We're looking at things like registration, making sure that the four color plates are hitting correctly so that Things don't look blurry or bitmap, that the type is nice and straight looking and not fuzzy. So there are a variety of different things that we're looking for at that time. On the cover, on the the effects, we want to make sure that the gloss and the embossing is lining up correctly. Big production thing is checking the spine, making sure that that spine is going to be perfect, that everything's centered. That it's the right width that it's the right width that where the folds are on the cover in the case that nothing is going to fall off that really should be on the front yeah and that's a big thing for hardcover books right because if you look at a hardcover book there's this space in the spine where the like the binding kind of comes in and that's not necessarily something that an author will be thinking about when they're putting their type or their graphic together but then you get the proofs and you're like oh wait here's here's the line where the, the spine goes in and it has obscured part of the the title or my name or the artwork that was essential right. you want everything to be centered obviously you don't want anything to fall into the hinge i think that's yeah. the area that you're talking about and um excellent vocabulary word. Yes. <laughs> um so i do get templates for the designers to make sure that everything is as it should be the correct size, the correct spine. Nothing will fall into the hinge because that can be an, an issue. We cannot laminate the, the hinge. We don't want things to crack within the hinge when they bind it. So those are things that we do look for. 
and how often are you finding these kinds of problems? Like, does basically every book have something about it that comes up kind of fucked up when you get the first round back? Or do most books it just depend on the printer? Like, how common are these kinds of problems? Um, they're pretty common. Um, <laughs> it's like every book. Every book has something wrong with it. A big issue that we come across is four-color black text. So basically, it's black, and it's small, and it's thin. It, we, we want it to appear black, but there are four plates that are together to make that black and because they're so small and thin if they don't line up just so that's going to look bad it's going to look like bad printing it's going to look like we provided bad files so that does come up pretty regularly and um, our prep house will alert us of those issues Um, we have great designers here we have andrew arnold and molly johansson and they're super careful um but things do happen. Sometimes we work with so many outside designers, so many illustrators. Everyone works their own way. So we do encounter problems, um, but we tackle them early on. So you're getting given the mechanical, like, you know, I designer basically sending this giant Dropbox folder to you. Do you have like a checklist that you go through when you get things that you're literally like, okay, here's common problems that people miss or, or are you just sort of... When I'm getting them out, right, at that point, I'm really just checking the spine and the sizes. I want to make sure that things are the trim size that we agreed on, they're the page count that we agreed on. Because if I get something and the page count is off, I know my spine's going to be wrong. And we're going to have to have that adjusted, which can sometimes be time consuming because at that point the layers have been created if there's a spot gloss if there's an embossing now those files will need to be adjusted as well so it's not just this one file it's all the layers that go along with it and that's introducing an opportunity for things to get fucked up because what if you don't change all the layers yeah exactly exactly we do not Um, want that and also your printer is going to be like you said this book was 208 pages and it's actually 224 we didn't purchase the paper and set aside it for you those extra that extra signature at that point we've usually cut a purchase order so at the end after we've looked at our proofs and we've approved them i send the files to the printer i send them an order that confirms all the specs at that point i really should know the page count if i don't that's a big problem but um the page count is set and the printers are really good about alerting us of any discrepancies from what we've quoted to what we now have And so that's less of an issue, but what does happen when page counts go up, and we can't always change that, um, or it is what it is, is that we at that point have already estimated the job, and let's say it's 1999, and it's 208 pages. It looks pretty good at that moment. But if the page count goes up a couple of signatures, now we're paying more for a book, and we're still charging the same price. So our profit goes down. So you mentioned a prep house when you were talking about this whole process. Can you tell us a little about what that is? Sure. It's different from a printer. It is different from the printer. So there are companies that we provide the files to them. Uh, We provide application files, mostly InDesign, Illustrator, whatever file we're working in. Um, And they will take those files make sure that all the fonts are loaded, make sure that the images are high resolution, make sure that everything is ready for printing purposes. And they will make sure that those jobs are specifically set up for the printer they're going to. When I release a job, I let the prep house know this is going to this particular printer. 
they all have different profile settings. They all work more or less the same, but there are specific needs for each particular printer. So the prep house is getting our files ready for that particular printer so that there are no concerns once we go to press. They also provide the proofs that are color accurate, so that gives us an opportunity to, to see whether we're happy with the color or not. So how is an author involved in this process? Is this something that happens mostly internally where the design and the editorial team are looking at things or do authors get a chance to look at the proofs at this stage too? Yeah, like are you typically emailing with authors or more just like... I'm really not. Um, Generally, I'm dealing with mostly design. I work with everyone here, but it's really design. I speak to the art director and the designer on the phone probably like five times a day each just because we're constantly communicating about whatever needs to be done. There's so many titles fast moving. I generally don't meet with the author or the illustrator unless there's a concern. If there is a concern, then we may talk about color. We may meet in the color room. We may email and I will contact the printer or the prep house for any things that are really technical. These files can get very technical beyond my knowledge. And we communicate that way. But it's generally not the author or illustrator unless it's a concern. But is the the editorial or design team communicating about these proofs with the author during this process? Yes, they are. So we get seven sets of proofs. And they're used for various purposes. We generally have one set of proofs that routes internally. Uh, We have one for the author-illustrator, if they're two different people. The editor gets one. Our publicity person will get one. And we have two that we use for sales purposes. Now, who were you talking to on the printer side? You were talking about how you were kind of in between between the printer and the publisher. Who on the printer side is it that you're, you're in touch with? And how do you meet printers? Okay, well... Our printers domestically um, will have sales reps that will come in and visit. We generally don't print in the U.S. because it is expensive unless it's a book that has taken off and that we know we have the budget to to print domestically or that we just need the book so quickly that we don't have the time. Or if it's black and white. Or if it's black and white. That's right. Generally, we do our first prints in China. And the Chinese companies will have a U.S. representative. And the, all the, the three that we use, the three that I typically use, do have sales reps that come and visit every couple of weeks. They'll ask how things are going. At that point, we can discuss if there are any concerns. Um, we can talk pricing, schedule. So they do have a presence here in the U.S. as well. And I email with the people in China every day. And there is a time difference, but we've managed to figure that out just fine. I will email during the day. I know that the next day I'm going to have a response. And we just build that into the schedule. We know it's going to take a little bit longer. We know that the shipping time is seven weeks. So we build that into the schedule. And so far it works. Are you also responsible for dealing with like the physical movement of the books or you just purely like once once the books have been printed and they are objects they are no longer my concern that's somebody else's job to like actually track them making their way here well what we do is we have a company that we have a contract with and 
We let our printers know this is who you need to contact. We do get bills of lading, which let us know when the books have left the port. We know the vessel that they're sailing on and the expected date that they're going to arrive in the United States. Once they and arrive, you're planning for that. You're like, yes. I need the books in the U.S. by January, so I have to send them to the, the printer, the final max from the prep house by October, September? Typically, we need five months from when we have mechanicals released to the prep house until we have a bound book. That's when they're ready to leave China. Then from there, we allow another about 12 weeks before the books are on sale because we have seven weeks that they're going to be on the water. And things happen. Things happen. We want to make sure that they, once they hit the United States, that they've cleared customs. And also there's exciting things like, like shipping companies going out of business <laughs> with your books sitting on the boat. Or I've talked to people who the boat sinks. <laughs> And then your I mean, that's what insurance is yeah. for, but still, yes. Then your or held hostage. Were... Didn't that happen last year? There were like books that were being held at sea, and they weren't released. And who could possibly plan for that? No. But, I mean, sometimes you have more normal things like hurricane season, which can delay the boat by a week or two yeah. because it doesn't want to sail through a hurricane. Yeah. This is the part of the interview that I like to think of as the, yes, there's a reason why you had to turn those files in so far in advance part of the interview that we yeah. can return to from time to time. Because that's the number one frustration that I deal with with people who are used to doing like pamphlet comics. Yeah, or, or web comics or whatever is the whole like... No, but seriously, my book isn't coming out till like next year. Why is everybody stressing out that I'm not done yet? I'm like, well, yeah. And it's like the people on customs could be overloaded with boats that week, and then it took them an extra week to clear this boat through customs, and we didn't want your book to be late, so we built some time in the schedule in case that happened. Yeah, there was a dock worker strike at, at one point, and we had to um, redirect some of the vessels. So yeah, things so like that will happen. Is there like an equivalent of me obsessively tracking like my FedEx thing like can you like do you, do you have GPS you're like watching the boat move here from time to time in moments of anxiety or is that out of your control apparently we, so we have a new freight forwarder that we've just started using in like maybe the last two months and there is a website where the printer is supposed to enter the information of when the books have shipped and we can not track it on the water, sort of like when you're <laughs> flying in the plane, um, but you can get a pretty good idea of when the books are going to hit the warehouse. There are still a couple of glitches. Once that's up and running, it's going to be an excellent tool. That's so cool. Yeah. So a freight forwarder for our audience who may not be in the know with all of these exciting production terms. I don't actually know what a freight forwarder is either. So they're a logistics company, and basically they handle shipping, shipping of anything, um, and the one that we're using now, they have offices um, in Hong Kong and throughout China, and our printers will contact them. The printer is responsible for getting them to the dock, getting them to the port. At that point, these companies will make sure that the books are loaded onto a vessel, that boat sails, it arrives. Most of our books come into the Virginia port, and at that point, that company is still responsible for making sure that those books get off of that boat. They have to clear customs. They have to make it onto a truck. 
in the United States, and that truck needs to deliver to our so, warehouse. So they're like escorting your books across the world, basically. Exactly. Exactly. That's so right. they are following that from port all the way to the warehouse. You may not know the answer to this, but I'm just curious now. So when the printer is dropping it off at port, like, what are they dropping off? They're dropping off pallets? Yes. Okay. So it's not just like, here's 10 boxes of this right. book. Well, it's more, like, I'm like, they don't have like containers level. They're like pallet level, right? The containers happen at the port. Okay. I'm yeah, sorry. So, no, no. I mean, it's a good question. Um, yeah, they're they're wrapped up in, in pallets and they're delivered to the port. And then the more that we have on a vessel is actually more economical because we just we just have a couple of things that might just be a partial container if we can fill up a container then we're saving money Uh, so you don't necessarily have uh, a ship that's entirely for second graphic novels (laughs) that would be great it's instead a ship that might be filled with like fruits and vegetables and also graphic novels exactly yeah there's all sorts of things going there but our printers do try to consolidate uh, if I have a book and another production manager has several books that are shipping very close in that same week, they do consolidate. And is there anything you do with the packaging to make sure that the books don't get damaged in the 12 weeks that they're moving around the country in different trucks and being put into containers and taken out of containers and put in other trucks? And right. The printers are very careful. I mean, they do carton them very carefully. Uh, we use double wall cartons because they're, they are heavy. Um, there is a weight limit. I believe it's 35 to 40 pounds. They can't pack beyond that. And that determines our carton quantity. So they make sure that they're not too heavy and they do use the double wall cartons so that the books are protected. Many of our printers will actually slip sheet between the books. Um, and that's just putting like a tissue papery sort of sheet between the, the two volumes. Yes. And that's so, if I'm getting this right, the, the ink doesn't smudge? Yes. Sometimes we'll request it and it can yeah. be for that purpose. Um, now, there are air advances, which are some of the ones that you've, probably typically, you've, you've typically seen yeah. that are wrapped in bubble wrap and they yeah. have shrink wrap. And those are like put on a plane and Those are put on a plane and there are advances. So they're extra careful with those because they know they're going to be thrown around. That won't happen so much with the ones that go to the warehouse. Yeah. They're packed very tightly. There's, um, yeah, they're all like shrink wrapped within an inch of their life to that pallet, right? <laughs> it's pretty tight. But even within the carton, if they need to add any kind of cardboard so that everything is just super tight and not going to shift around and, and corners aren't going to bend and scuff. So that reminds me of something I've actually genuinely been wondering about. So, like, there's a lot of reasons why having your trim size for your book not be what you thought it was going Like, from your perspective, having books trim size change. Is one of those reasons, like, how many books can physically go into a box? Like, is that part of your concern? Like, if you're doing a non-standard trim size, it messes up this process of people have to put these books into boxes or is that not something you worry about? It's probably a later concern. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not a concern right away. Um, a lot of times the trim size is determined by Barnes & Noble because it's what size they can fit on their shelves. Um, so many times that is why we use standard trim sizes. From a production point of view, there are trim sizes that are more economical. I have three vendors that I use, 
and the six by eight and a half trim size, which is what for second typically uses, is very economical for one particular printer because of the web presses that they have. So there are different factors that determine what is going to make a book most economical. Um, how many books you fit in a carton does make a difference. Like right now I did a slipcase. The slipcase, you can only fit like six slipcases in a box in the carton that meets the standards for the size boxes, cartons that the warehouse wants and the weight. So you're using a lot of cartons. If you have a 10,000 copy order and you can only fit eight per carton, that's that's a lot of cartons. So you're going to spend money there. And that's does that impact the cover price for that? Or is that more just something you have to eat on your end? It really is because it, by the time we realize how many can go in a carton, it's factored into the price. When we get a price from China and we give them all the specs and they give us an estimate back, that cost is included. Um, I don't know how much that really um, affects like, I don't think an editor is going to change their trim size necessarily <laughs> because of how many fit in the box. But we do have standard trim sizes here at McMillan that we try to adhere to. And we should adhere to because it saves money. And um, we're very sensitive and mindful of just our carbon footprint. So yep. we want to pack as many per carton as possible. And it also helps with paper buying, right? So you're... When you think about what paper to use for a book, there's there's some different factors that go into that. And one of them is, like, if you're using a standard paper co- stock at a company, you can, at the beginning of a year or beginning of a season, be kind of like, okay, we want this many rolls of paper and be able to get a lower cost for that than if you just use a, a single paper stock for one specific book and then had to buy a different roll for another book and then a different roll with a different texture for another book. We schedule our books probably about seven to eight months in advance with the printers. At that point, we are telling them what paper we're going to be using. We typically have a coated paper or an uncoated paper. Um, I know that doesn't sound like a lot of choice, but it's what we use and if we want something um, beyond that we have standard weights as well and something usually works perfectly for whatever we're going to do at that point when we place that order with the vendor they have an idea based on what we've estimated what the quantity is going to be they can pre-order that paper Uh, there have been shortages of paper in the last like year or two prices have skyrocketed Hmm. for paper uh, particularly in china so uh, one vendor that I use uh, will generally say early on, how much, what, what do you think your quantity is going to be? Is it going to be a high quantity? And they will reserve that paper at that cost at that time, even though I haven't cut a purchase order. But at least they know the paper that we want to use, they're going to reserve it, and they're going to get it at the lesser price. So you mentioned paperweight. For, for our listeners who may not be as in the know and production as you, like, what does that mean? Um, so basically, the paper weight um, is, how do I describe it? Um, the, the way the paper will feel. You don't want it to be too thin um, that you can see right through it or that it feels like a newspaper. So we use 115 GSM, which is equivalent to an 80-pound stock 
in the United States. So yes. basically, a higher number is thicker paper. Exactly. Like a shorthand for exactly. this. Exactly. Yes. So we've mostly been talking about normal books. Okay. Some books have to get printed or turned around faster than normal for any number of reasons. Okay. How does that change things on your end? Obviously not ideal. <laughs> right. Um, I generally go to the printer and ask for a drop-dead schedule. When is the last date that I can get you filed and you can still meet this date? And we work from there. You know, on a typical book for first pass, this is the first time we're seeing proofs, we might have two weeks. If a job is a rush, we might have two days. The later we are, or the tighter the schedule, the less time people have to review the proofs, which obviously can lead to mistakes and issues, but um, it, it, it's done all the time. Um, and if we need the books right away, that's one of the ways that we cut down, is really in the, in the proofing stage. And if it is just completely impossible to print in China, then we look at domestic costs. So, like, because I get the sense that, like, there can sometimes be this feeling among authors. They're like, oh, this date that they're giving me is, like, a fake date. I know that I had my friend who got pneumonia and had to turn their book in two months late, and it was fine. But, like, if your book's going to the printer two months later, like, it's less time for proofs and less time to fix problems. And maybe if it prints too dark or too light or something, you can't necessarily fix it. Or, like, there's problems that come up because of that. Like, you're not just like, no, we just want to be able to drink margaritas and relax yeah. <laughs> while we're doing this. I think it, there's definitely an, an introduction for error there because you still need the the group to look at it. Design still needs to look at it. Editorial needs to look at it. Managing ad needs to go off to a reader, and you're cutting down on everyone's time, so everyone is rushing. You really can have errors if that happens. Sometimes it can't be helped, but it really isn't the ideal situation. And when you have a list of 20 books, you want them to be spaced out a little bit because if they're all on that schedule, that's when it can get really difficult. You're a human person, and you have only so many hours in the day exactly. to look yeah. at books. Yeah, I mean, one or two rushes is typical. To have half your list be a rush is really hard, but if everything is a rush, and I have worked at publishers where that's how they work. That's just the, um, the culture, that you're going to print fast and furious and give your book, like, the 10 minutes and keep moving. And... I personally don't think that's the best way to work. That sounds exhausting. It, it, it is. You can only do that for so long. I feel like here at Macmillan, we work really hard to try to keep things on schedule. Obviously, that doesn't always happen, but I think everybody's very mindful, and we really try to, to plan ahead. We have a great team. We keep hammering this point in the podcast, but I'm going to be this asshole yet again that this is why if you're having a problem with drawing your book, you really want to say as early as possible, I think I'm going to have a problem and not wait until your deadline to tell people that you're going to be a couple months late. Because if somebody tells you six months out that the book might be late, that's very different. You have a lot, I assume you have more scope for... Yeah, six months out from the due date yeah, of exactly. the book rather yeah. than the publication date. Yes, I'm sorry, to be book. clear. Exactly, because we can all wait you know we can be prepared for when that file is going to get here that job is going to get here if we need to send it out we can have people 
set up to read it at that time, I can write ahead to the prep house and say, I know this is unusual. I need you to prep this job in a week rather than what is usually two weeks. I will prepare a schedule, email everybody that's part of that team so that they know that when this book comes, they kind of have to drop everything and work on this book. Yeah, and it's not just dropping everything on the publisher end. It's also the author who is then going to have to drop everything when they get the proofs back and review them, which right. is a problem if it's they are fun. like, for example, <laughs> like going to visit their grandmother for her birthday for two days and then get back home and are like, these proofs were due yesterday. They arrived the day that I left. Oh, no, I have missed this date. And a problem for the printer, I'm sure, too, if they are like, we thought we were going to be printing five books this week, but in fact, 10 books have come in and we don't actually have the allocated like printing machine time for all of these books. So we're going to have to make some of them printed later. Right. Right. It seems that authors and illustrators are traveling a lot lately. It's like every time something's late, oh, they're some, they're out of the country. Um, so things like that do happen. So we do need to plan exactly because once the proofs come to us, they're reviewing them at the same time. Yeah. So everybody just has to be prepared. So if we know something's going to be late, that really is what we do. We create a drop-dead schedule so that everybody knows when this is coming, and they can work around that. I'm sorry. I just I get very emotional about like the collaborative, the team coming together to get this fucking book out the door. Anyway, <laughs> so you mentioned that sometimes for advances you'll air freight them to the U.S. from from China. And by and to be clear, advances you mean like early copies early of the book, copies not your advance book. that you're getting paid. Yes. Um, advance printed final copies of the book, you'll air freight them to the U.S. via an airplane sort of situation rather than putting them on a, a cargo ship. Um, can you talk about why that is not practical for the entire quantity of books that goes on the cargo ship? <laughs> sure. So to air freight a book, obviously it depends on the weight and the page count uh, and what... Yeah, what graphic novels are pretty heavy, though. They're pretty heavy. Oh, that is actually an interesting fact that I don't know if we've talked about, how like graphic novels are kind of heavier than most other kinds of books. Right. True so facts. This is, this is true. The trim sizes are generally smaller than our picture books, but they're much heavier. Obviously, a hardcover is heavier than a paperback. Um, we recently had a gigantic book. It was On a Sunbeam by Tilly Walden, which is a monster. I, it's just a gigantic book, very heavy. If we wanted to air freight copies of On a Sunbeam, it probably would have been between 5 and $6 a copy. Jesus. Because they do need to be put on an airplane. And that's the, not like the printing cost. Right. That's on top of the printing cost. So that's a lot of money. It, it's a lot of money. And there are also, I don't know what the number is, but I believe there is a limit to how many books you can actually put on an airplane. Um, and what happens is, so there's the term next day air. So if we order a certain books, a certain number of books that are advances, if there's something like 90 copies, those will come next day. But if you're ordering a much larger number, and actually we did do it once. We, um, we ordered, I think it was like 75,000 copies of books that were air freighted because it was actually cheaper to print in China and air freight them than it was to print them domestically. Oh my God. And this is so painful. I don't, yeah. 
I'm sure that you don't want to get into the specifics of the shit show that led to that, but oh my fucking God. Well, and it, it, was it just one plane or did you have to like organize a fleet of planes <laughs> to come to you? So I have to say that I don't know the exact way it was done. It was handled by our um, operations manager. But I do know that something like that, even though they're being air freighted, it's not next day. It's usually need to allow like a week for that. And I don't know if there are just certain planes that do that or how it works. But um, that particular book had a metallic stock jacket, which would be very expensive to print domestically. So that's why it was worth it to print it overseas and air freight it. And we just ran out of stock. We needed books as soon as possible. Publishing is so terrifying. Uh, And while we're talking about advanced final printed copies, what about galleys? Because that's another advanced form of yeah, book that people see. Are you guys also responsible for galleys and arcs and things like that? Yes, we are. So galleys um, are printed at a very early stage, usually the first pass, um, sometimes not even colored in. So it's not like in this process of sending the mechanical to the printer, they also produce a galley. It's kind of before that stage. Absolutely, Yes. So we have particular dates that we want to hit so that our sales reps can get the books out and promote them and make sure that we have nice orders when the bulk actually ships. So to hit those dates, we're basically looking at where we are at that stage. And um, right now we're about to hit many galleys. Uh, One of the things that we're going to be doing going forward is printing galleys for all of our first second books. Uh, which can be very expensive because those things are done domestically. And one of the options that we've done in the past is to print like a signature in color and the balance in one color. Uh, That's one of the options. We've looked at printing completely in four color. Uh, So these are different selling materials that we have, but They typically print in two weeks, which is anywhere between two to four weeks. So they're not going to have the quality that the finished book has. They're typically not going to be on the same paper. Uh, They're they're going to look like a paperback, which might not be the final format of the book. But it is a good selling material to get the audience to see what the finished book is going to be. And you print those in the U.S. as well. Those are printed domestically. They're still very expensive. And the, the reason they are so expensive is because... It's a smaller run. I know it varies enormously from book to book, but like, what's the what's an average per unit cost for a finished, printed in China? I'm going to sell this in a bookstore book versus like that same book as a arc or a galley. Can you just say like, like more ballpark? Or less. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, I will give you. Um, and I right now I'm doing a. Um, it's not a graphic novel though. Is that okay? Yeah, sure. Okay. It's more about the, the, the giant difference. <laughs> okay. Okay. So I am working on a, it's a 128-page book that's pretty large trim size. And we're doing only 213 galleys. Those galleys are each $12. Oh, my God. The finished book, we don't have a final run yet, but typically a first printing will be anywhere between 7,500 to 10,000 copies. That book will probably manufacture at about two dollars yeah that's about what i would thought it's a tremendous difference yeah it's a tremendous difference with the the graphic novel galleys it does depend on whether we decide to do a complete four color galley or if we're gonna just give the reader a little taste of it with the four color signature and then the rest one color that makes a big difference 
Uh, it, it really depends on the page count, what the cost is going to be. But there is a huge savings to print a higher quantity. Yeah. That's really, if you're printing anything under 3,000 copies, you're going to pay a lot of money. You want to keep the, the quantities high. So actually, that reminds me of another question, which, I mean, I know a lot of people are involved in the decision, but you're obviously having to execute on this. Like, when are you getting your actual order for, like, how many copies of this book are going to get printed? Like, how early in the process is that decision getting made? Because obviously, when you're pretty early on, you have, like, a kind of vague idea, but, like, when is it that you're actually sitting down and talking to the people and be like, all right, first printing is going to be X number of copies. And how much are you, like... You say that you want 20,000 of this, but actually if we order 25, then the per unit cost drops down by two cents and the costs kind of equal out. So projections are done pretty early on. We have what's called catalog pricing meeting. We go, we bring the title with all the specs and the, and the costing and we present it to the publisher. The editors are there. Um, sales, I think there are some salespeople there. And at that point, um, we're just looking to see what it's going to cost us later on. Three months before the books ship is when we decide on a final quantity. And, and ship, in this case, which version of ship do you mean? Like, as in you're sending the book to the printer or the printer's sending it to you? Like When the printer is getting ready to send the finished books okay. on that boat and off to our warehouse. Okay, three months before the printer's putting the books on the boat is when you're deciding how many books are getting printed. Yes, so that would be anywhere between five and six months before the books go on sale. Because at that point, we have three months before the books are finished and they go off on the boat, they hit the warehouse, they release, they go on sale. So it's usually about six months in advance. And at that point, um, there is a meeting where important people go and decide how many books. And they're basing those numbers on the interest that has come from Barnes & Noble, the interest that has come from Amazon or whoever we sell to. And I generally present three quantities. One of them is a quantity I've been given and said, this is most likely at this point what we're going to print. And there will be two other quantities that um, will have come earlier on and they will look at at those quantities and decide what is the best quantity to print so that we can get our sales out to whoever wants to buy them but also so that we don't have a large number sitting in the warehouse because warehousing costs are a big concern for supply chain they want to print the right amount but they don't want a ton sitting in the warehouse that we're and that we're paying for they want to be able to order a reprint rather than have them sit. So like, I assume that you're kind of aiming for like a sweet spot between we don't want to sell out of the book so quickly that people can't buy it right. like a week after it comes out. Right. But we also don't want to pay for warehousing for the next year. Exactly. So are you thinking like your first printing is going to be enough stock to sell for a year or for a month? Or like what's that kind of, that kind of, time estimate in your ideal world (laughs) right um in my ideal world um i would say nine months because you don't want to run out of books when the it's just been released you don't want to run out when people really want that book and also if if you're sending a book to the printer and it takes them 12 weeks to get you copies to put back on sale that means if you publish it 
and something really exciting happens on the first day, people buy all the books, you won't have any more stock for three months if you go on a kind of a, a typical schedule without kind of air freighting the 75,000 copies right. on a cargo plane. Right, exactly. And that just recently happened. So we ordered a book from China. It released at the end of June, and we had a Barnes & Noble edition for it. We had a signed edition. We had the main edition. And we just didn't have enough books. So we are printing domestically. That is a, a case where we look at the China costs and the China schedule, and we know, we can forecast that we're not going to have books in the warehouse. So at that point, we do go to a domestic printer. What happens, unfortunately, though, is at this time of year, the domestic printers get pretty busy. Believe it or not, they're printing for Christmas. And that was the thing I know Gina and I, we were talking about this before we started recording. Like, how much are you having to think about what's going on in the various countries that you're printing in, in terms of like when you're scheduling things? Because obviously, like America, we have times when basically nobody's working. And I assume in China, they also have times when basically nobody's working. Like, are you keeping track of that as you're making your decisions? And also, times when it's like, all of the Christmas oh, books yeah, are reprinting yeah, yeah. or all of the Halloween books are reprinting or all the Easter books are reprinting right. or all the summer reading books are reprinting. Yeah, I guess it's extremes in either direction. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, we really have to think about that, especially Chinese New Year. Chinese New Year, the plants typically close anywhere from a week to two weeks, but before the plants are closed, many of the workers just like we are here around the holidays in December, we start to, to head out. There's like an exodus out of, of the company, and by the last day, there's like no one left. And that basically is what happens in China. So we really do plan for, for that time. And it's different every year. So we really have to pay attention to when is Chinese New Year next year. It can be anywhere from middle of January to middle of February. And that also coincides with the time that we're out at the end of December. So those are two weeks that are pretty close together that we really need to plan for. We know that if something doesn't get out by, let's say, December 18th, it's unlikely that it's gonna get out that year because so many people start to go home for the holidays, we can't get it out, and then we're not gonna see anything until the new year anyway. And at that point, when we come back and we're kinda like, okay, we've had our time off, now our CSRs, in China are saying, get me those files now because we're, we're not going to be here for much longer before we leave for China. So what you don't want is to basically have two weeks of nobody doing anything in the U.S. Right. Followed immediately by two weeks. Like you don't want to lose right. a month basically right. because of not having planned. Right. So yeah. when I create my schedules, I want as many mechanicals out either for first pass or for corrections right before we leave for the holidays so that when we come back you can send them right back out again we're getting them now from our prep our main prep houses in canada they work that week and we're getting the proofs in and we're routing them so we basically haven't lost any time that is the ideal way to schedule it i try i'm glad we got into this because i think there's this perception that it literally is just like people just don't want to deal with things over the holiday like there are also, I mean, there's, there's more concerns than just individual people's uh, schedules about these things. It's interesting to remember how complicated the system is. Yeah, and Christmas books that are printed in China are actually printed in the beginning of the summer. Actually, early June, so yeah. really end of spring. And right now is when the domestic printers are rushing because Christmas books are out on displays like in October. So they need to hit 
the warehouse or wherever store they're going to be displayed like at the end of september if for the context we're recording this episode in the second week of august yeah yeah so if you go to our printer this week it will be full of copies of the christmas carol yes <laughs> so uh we've, we've kind of touched on this but uh i know that we also wanted to ask wait sorry before we oh, do please. that you use the abbreviation csr okay customer service representative okay back oh. to it. excellent um <coughs> so you talked a little bit about reprints how does that work on your end? Because obviously it just, you don't just push a button on your computer that says reprint this book. And you mentioned that sometimes you have to print it in a different printer or in a different country, but like what other kinds of things are you worrying about when it comes to reprinting books? And like what's, how, how are you involved with the decision to reprint the book? Like are you the person who is like, hello, we have no stock on this book. It must be reprinted. Um, I generally am not. Um, so we have supply chain who is watching closely how many books we still have in the warehouse, what the sales have been, so they can project when we're going to be out of stock. And that's a whole department of people who works at the company. Right. So they, and they have a weekly meeting, so they really are watching these numbers closely. Um, and they can decide on a weekly basis. What they will do is, as they see that books are selling out, they will bring them to this meeting. We do have a uh, separate reprint manager that handles um, children's uh, reprints and typically if it's a straightforward reprint she will handle that um, she will go back to the original vendor and order reprint reprints typically take three to four weeks so they're done pretty quickly that doesn't include shipping time if it's a little bit more complicated where we are moving the job to the US even though it's a reprint for us, it's still a first printing for that domestic printer. So the original production manager will handle that. So whenever something moves domestically, I will work on it, even though it is a reprint. And generally, reprints are just always a rush because they are needed very quickly to make sure that we don't run out of stock. So what about when you're reprinting the book and correcting errors, how does that process work? And how, how does it work from the point where errors get communicated with you? The errors generally go through the managing editorial group and they keep a list of what the, yeah. what the errors are, what corrections need to be made. Like we, on page 54, this word was spelled incorrectly or right. Somebody's, the blacks fell off of exactly. this page or something like that. If it's a color correction, um, generally what I will do uh, is order that original file from our prep house and our designer will fix the file. We will return it back to the prep house and say this is what it should be so that we know when it reprints that file is ready to go. That's really the best way to to be prepared at all times because... Like I said, the reprints are needed quickly. So what happens when there's not just like on page 54, this word is spelled incorrectly or a tail fell off this word balloon or something like that. But like I got these final books in and there is something seriously wrong. Like they have printed the book at 150 DPI or like the covers are on upside down or something like that. Obviously, that's not ideal. Right. Probably doesn't happen very often also. It happens sometimes. We've had um, pagination issues yeah. where, for whatever re reason, a signature was placed incorrectly, and now the pagination is wrong. And obviously, you can't read a book that is out, is of, not, order. Is out of order. 
things like that will happen. Many times it depends on like sometimes with when the signatures are gathered at the at the printer, they will be inserted incorrectly or they will be placed incorrectly. It's generally, at least in my experience, not been the bulk. It's usually a handful that will happen between signatures or it's not generally the full run. I mean, obviously that does happen where if there's something like with a resolution, that's obviously going to be the whole book. If there's smearing, that can be something that might not happen throughout. It it might be that the ink didn't dry and there are a couple that... At the beginning of the print print Exactly, during the make ready. So the make ready is as the the, uh, printing machines are warming up and um, they're getting up to speed on color, they're getting up to speed on registration. At that point, a lot of mistakes can happen. And generally, the printer will take those copies and set those aside. Those should not make it out into the population, but sometimes they do. Sometimes they are advances because the printer is trying to get the advances out to us for approval before they ship out the bulk. For the most part, my experience has been that we've not had those kind of mistakes where something is upside down. I, it happens, though. I have I know it happens. Actually, one of my coworkers recently had a, a book cased in upside down. Because of the design, it was forgiving, but what it meant was that this, the wording on the spine was backwards we did go ahead with it because like i said it was forgiving the way that it was designed you'd have to see it we could get away with it and the printer was confused so it wasn't a matter of oh we just did that with a few of them no we did that with all of them they all ship that way so i mean what percentage typically of a given print run are you just going to assume are going to have something wrong with them for one reason or another like there's obviously like a certain amount of like wiggle room for when you're printing tens of thousands of books, of those tens of thousands, how many typically are just like accepted? These are just going to be messed up for whatever reason. And of course, like it would be so great if every book was 100% perfect. But if you're ordering some thousands of copies of something, of course, there's going to be... You know, I think that um, we generally don't allow for any kind of errors like that if there is a concern what we will do there have been times that we found mistakes we will have a warehouse spot check and they will what they will do is go to a particular pallet and go through a couple of cartons on that pallet if they find the issue then that requires a more extensive investigation but if they don't find that any issues we're going to assume that the rest of them are okay. And if we want a more extensive investigation of the books, then we take it from there. So you're talking about like a negligible number of copies are going to randomly be screwed up, but it's not like you're having... And it really does depend on the problem. Like if there is a resolution problem, you know that's going to be on every single book. But um, for example, I had a book that had die cuts and some of the die cuts didn't actually pop out. So the, the piece of paper that should have been die cut, there was the outline, but they didn't pop out. When we did the investigation, we found that it was a small number, but it was so critical for a book like that. So it really, it doesn't even matter if it's just a few. Uh, this is so, I love that there's like book detectives. This yeah. is really good. <laughs> well, the warehouse will typically do just a couple because it's expensive to go to course, open every yeah. carton. But there are actual companies that we will ship the books out um, 
and they will do that kind of very thorough investigation. So it's like an audit, basically, of your print run. Yes, and it's a very expensive process because the books are printed in China. We don't pay that much money, but now you're paying for U.S. workers to go through these books. It's going to really... You have to ship them to them. You have to ship them back to the warehouse. Yes. And also, the books have now been handled. Yeah. Like, it's just not an ideal setting at all. There have been times that the China printer will say, don't do that. We're going to just reprint them. (laughs) We're just going to reprint them and send them to you. I was going to say, sometimes it must be cheaper to just redo the run than to have to comb through, like, 30,000 books or something. Exactly, because they also don't have a partnership with anyone in the United States that can do that sort of work. So they're going to pay a lot of money. Obviously, we're going to charge charge them back for this. So many That's times, excellent. but you're like printers, you are responsible and must pay for this. Yeah, haha. <laughs> yeah. So typically, it may be cheaper for them to just reprint. I, I've definitely had a couple of times where friends' books have gotten screwed up, and there's this moment of like, did we fuck this up, or did the printer fuck this up? And then when the printer says, yes, oh thank God, the printer fucked this up. <laughs> they have to pay for it. There's like that tension of, did we miss this somehow? That like the cover was upside down or that. I understand because yeah. I see things and I'm like, did I miss this somehow? And I'm really grateful when I find out it's not me. It wasn't me. <laughs> um, so how much are you thinking about sustainability when you're printing? Is, is like the environment kind of coming into the equation at all? It is. Um, so we print on, we had talked about paperweight before. And we print on 115 GSM. We had previously printed on 128 GSM. And I admit it is a nice, thicker sheet. Um, So I liked it. But from a sustainability point of view, we can now, printing on a 115 GSM stock, now we can fit more books into a carton. We can ship less cartons. Um, So from that point of view, our carbon footprint is not as large as it would have otherwise been if we had kept on a 128. We print all of our um, books on environmentally friendly paper. It's not um, recycled paper, but it is paper that is coming from trees that or forests that are new growth forests. Right, exactly. So um, in that regard, we are very mindful, and um, our printers are also. That's great. So, I mean, this is a very specialized and very cool job that you have. Thank you. If somebody, well, I mean, somebody's listening to this and they're like, I'm so excited by these problems and this seems like such an interest. I mean, I'm not kidding. Like, it's a really cool, there's a lot of interesting problem solving that you guys are doing. So somebody's thinking like that ultimately they'd like to have your kind of job. Like, what's the path to to working in uh, production the way in which you do? Well, I have a degree in, in design. So I sort of stumbled on it. My, one of my first jobs, I worked for uh, the uh, sweepstakes company with Ed McMahon. I don't know if you guys, you guys oh, yeah. may be too young to remember oh, no. that. We're right in the sweet spot of that one. Okay, so I worked for that company. That was my first um, job out of college. And um, I was a design assistant, and we scanned a lot of photos because that company, what they sold, it was publishing, but it was magazines and it was direct mail. And there were a lot of images that needed to be scanned. And I worked very closely with production because I would have these images that needed to be either scanned or um, cleaned up and that would go through production. I worked with them and um, I learned a lot about what they did. And uh, we went to on a couple of printing plant tours, which were incredibly interesting. 
And with every job after that, I just kind of got pushed a little bit closer into, because design and production are very closely related. And it is important in production to have, not that it's important, I find it to be a benefit to have some design knowledge. Um, so that if you, you you can talk terminology when it comes to, to files and to the different programs, um, it's, it is helpful. And that's where I started and I just ended up moving closer and closer into production. Um, I know that there are, I think NYU has a production uh, master's uh, program. So there are programs like that. I don't know that other than, I, I think everybody I've ever worked with has just sort of stumbled on production. Um, and sometimes you just worked in printing and you ended up on the production side of things um, because it is very closely related to other areas in publishing, such as design or printing. Are there characteristics that you you look for when you're hiring production apprentices? Yeah, and like, what are like, the junior people in your department? We've had people that have come from from stores, like from retail, from Barnes and Noble. Um, we've had um, people that have worked in um, like a, a college uh, magazine or that kind of background. You know, we've been very lucky. Uh, my boss does the hiring. I, I actually don't, but if, if he asks for some input, um, which he generally does from the rest of the department, um, it's, it's really more about somebody that is open to like fresh ideas and being able to have an enthusiasm for the printed book, which we've been lucky enough to find. It sounds like also detail-oriented is probably good and a good communicator. Absolutely. Definitely. Like, how many people are in your department? We are, I think it's, we're eight. Um, and that's for all of Macmillan Children's. That's for all of Macmillan Who Children's. does about 650 books a year. Right, right. And um, then there we have the adult folks that are upstairs, and they're a small army. They're probably, like, I don't know, maybe 15 people. But, yeah, it's it's a fun career. It's very gratifying to go into a bookstore and see a book that that you worked on um, to see it displayed, to see that it really looks good, to see somebody on the subway reading a book that you worked on, and even when I get printed materials in the mail, I pick it up and I and I look at the printing and the quality and the inks and and how um, everything just you know the different effects, and I'm really impressed sometimes by some of the advertising, like for example American Express. If you get like their credit card offers their envelopes are a soft touch mat and they have foil on them and I look at all these effects and I'm like wow they really spent a lot of money here well they have like a very specific customer that they're looking for yeah I don't know why I'm getting these but because I really don't have the money to be getting these but I do well at least you're appreciating them yes they just want to be appreciated yes I really do I'm impressed by their packaging god if only you could like know who's responsible for doing that write them an email that'd be yeah. like the best email they got that month right like, by the way the paper stuck you picked yeah. up with this envelope was like super good exactly <laughs> <laughs> so as we wrap up is there anything else about the production process about your job that you want to talk about that we skipped over i just hope that it continues um i think for a while we were really worried about ebooks Um, But I think that's gone away. And it's really nice when I see younger people reading physical books because for a while we thought, okay, there's going to be a transition here where 
people are going to stop reading physical books. But I'm happy that that isn't going away because you can't get that, you know, the beautiful design. You can't get the texture of the paper. You can't get how it feels in your hand, the weight of the book in an ebook. So that's the one thing that I hope will always continue. If anything, I feel like your job is more important now than it ever has been because the book as an object is such a thing that people are thinking about now. Like it isn't just like, I'm going to buy this book because I want to read it. It's I'm choosing to buy the paper version of this book because I want to have this beautiful object. And so the quality of the printing, like normal people talk a lot more about spot gloss than they used to yeah. you know what i mean like it's <laughs> right. like it's like or french flaps or whatever like i think that people actually really care about that stuff the kinds of people who are going to buy books are more likely to notice and, and appreciate the decisions that you're kind of help making for it to look really beautiful okay so if people want to learn more about you and what you're doing or about for a second is there a good place to find you online i am a rare person that is not on social media at all <laughs> it's probably not a good answer. But. So, if, so if somebody has a desperate question for you, they should email us and we'll forward it on to you, basically. That sounds good. Yes. <laughs> or they can check in with First Second on social, too. That's I'm true. Sure. Just at First Second. Be like, go, and just you, go knock on her door. And if you find me, I'll be really impressed because at that point, they've gone through a lot of trouble. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. Well, Alexa, thanks yes. so much for talking to us. Thank this you, guys. This was great. I, I apologize in advance if somebody does actually end up knocking on your door in the middle of the afternoon because of this podcast. <laughs> so. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for listening to Graphic Novel TK. Uh, Our next episode is going to be about cover design, and we're super excited to be talking about that part of the book creation process. How does it work? How do covers get made? And why is everyone so crazy about making sure that they're just perfect? In other words, why did you have to redraw your cover three times? We're going to tell you all about that. For an hour. Graphic Novel TK is co-produced by Gina Gagliano and Allison Wilgus and is brought to you by The Beat. You can find our show notes along with other comics news and podcasts at comicsbeat.com. Our podcast graphics were created by Shivana Sokdeo. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear. You can follow us on Twitter at Graphic Novel TK or email us at graphicnoveltk at gmail.com. Do you have like a checklist you're going through when your Gina's making a face at me? It was just a normal face. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs>